0: W Media.
1: Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills, the show that asks when it comes to abortion bans and the death of an icon, what's love got to do with it? I'm Liz Winstead, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Moji Alawadayal and Marie Khan. Moji, what are some of the top lines in the show this week?
2: Oh, it's cool. We're going to redefine these 12-week bans away from consensus building to the trash they are, and we unpack some hard truths about who society deems worthy of having an abortion and who it doesn't. Sounds fun so far, huh? Marie, lighten it up. Yes, Moji. Comedian, writer, and actor
3: Jenny Yang stops by, so that's fun but it gets real again when we talk with Rebecca Tong, co-director of Trust Women Clinics in Kansas and Oklahoma, about how they've been inundated with patients since the Dobbs decision.
2: It's a lot. Deep breaths before we dive in.
3: How has everyone's week been so far?
2: This week has been long and I've been tired. And you know what? It has not gotten easier. It's not easy.
1: Moji Marino, I've been in an emotional struggle with my dog. My dog hates New York City and my dog hates to go outside. I'm not a person who likes, like, I don't cherish stuff. I don't cling to stuff. But I went to Morocco 23 years ago and my dog has turned this rug that I got there into a toilet. So I know I've tried everything. I don't know what the deal is. So I think I have to kiss this rug goodbye, which is really sad. I'm sad. I know that's my week. It's sad.
3: I feel fortunate. My cats aren't really knock on wood peeing on things. They are listening though. Right now, who knows?
1: Are they peers generally? Uh,
3: Genghis is a, a he. He's a cerebral peer. He'll think about it. It's totally. It's not <laughs> anything that is like medically wrong or medically fixable. It's that oh, I'm annoyed at you, and you left a bunch of clean laundry on the floor.
1: Yeah, I had a my dog Edie was like that. She'd literally when I'd leave. She'd be so mad. And I'd come back in the door and she'd stare at me and lock eyes and then just pee and then be Ooh. like, see? And I was like, you are a kind of a dog. That's some pelvic
3: floor control, though.
1: Impressive. I mean,
2: Edie was next level. No one liked Edie but me. <laughs> Not to equate my child with your pets, but... Uh, just this. Oh, week. here we go. I have a human. I have a human. <laughs> My child was uh, splashing in the tub and got the floor wet. And so this is similar to your ED story and got the floor wet. And I walked in and started mopping. And he looked me dead in the eye, picked up a cup of water and poured it on the floor while staring at me. I'm a gentle parent. So I said, that was unkind. And he just said, nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are, you are the person who interjects always and forever that you are raising a cis male in your home
2: so you are just saying (laughs) anyway my cat he's staying right in his litter box he got new litter today and he just walked in it to feel around I was like you know what you're doing yeah it was good all
1: right well you know these are our lives but also you know what else our lives are which is very exciting before we move on to the show These three buzzkill bitches right here are going to be live in New York City. If you're in New York City, you can come and see this podcast, L-I-V-E, live.
2: That's right. We are going to be at DRAM on June 7th in New York City. That is the East Village on Avenue A. Yeah, we have amazing guests. Marie, tell them who we have. It's so cool.
3: We're going to have Jeff Hiller joining us, who is an actor that you maybe see from HBO's Somebody Somewhere, TikTok icon V Spear from Under the Desk News, and some dope activists from New York City for abortion rights.
2: And since we'll be live, you can bring your cues and we will bring our answers in real time. And that's really only something you can get when we're in the same room with you. That's right. The live
1: buzzkills experience, like we're Jimi Hendrix, except not. Uh, Yeah, we'll have the news. We're going to have shenanigans. It's going to be a great night of comedy, a Bobo news, questions, answers, and activism. It's all yep. going to be amazing. And not just that, we've just added a second live show in Atlanta, July 20th at Terminal West. Comedian and actor Baron Vaughn from the Netflix series Grace and Frankie will join us and three incredibly dope Atlanta reproductive justice and abortion providers who are just, it's going to be great. We're going to rock the house. And, the, and we have a little mini activist fair going on at the show, too. So it's going to be great. All the tickets and for both of those shows are going to be in the show notes.
3: And also joining us for these live shows from the AF news team, none other than our head Habibix Alyssa is here to drop a steaming pile of this week's news on you.
4: Oh, that is so nice. Thanks, friends, and welcome to your steaming news dump of the week. I hope you took your moral fiber because this one might be a strain. In the Jenga game of abortion rights that is happening right now, all the Southern state pieces keep getting pulled and the whole thing's teetering on collapse. Let's start off with South Carolina, an abortion haven for much of the South, just passed a six-week abortion ban. That's now headed to the desk of their anti-abortion governor, but fingers crossed it goes back to the state Supreme Court because they blocked the last six-week ban. They say abortion is protected under the state constitution. Get your tickets. It's a sequel nobody asked for, six-week ban two, Legal Boogaloo. And it wouldn't be a news dump if we didn't mention Texas, which looked like it did something good this week when they expanded postpartum Medicaid coverage. But if you look real close, it says this is only for people who give birth or, quote, suffer the natural loss of the child. So if you somehow manage to get an abortion, you are out of the running for healthcare in Texas. Sorry. Speaking of people who deserve an apology, this week begins the prosecution of Caitlin Bernard, the Indiana doctor who had the gall, the absolute gumption to provide an abortion for the pregnant 10-year-old who had to flee her own state of Ohio just to get care. They're saying Bernard violated patient privacy laws and state reporting laws. But if you ask us, it seems like the only person acting like a 10-year-old here is that a G. And finally, in the Cornhusker state, things are all shucked
1: up. Boo! (laughs) Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Boom!
4: Question, Buzzkills. What happens when a mother helps her teen self-manage her abortion? Well, in Nebraska, they're both facing jail time and the case is a veritable buffet of anti-abortion trends. Number one, personhood bullshit because the state is claiming the 17-year-old, big air quotes here, disposed of a body. Yuck. Two, criminalizing, aiding an abortion because they're charging the mom as a non-licensed doctor. And three, data and privacy because internet overlord Meta happily handed the authorities private Facebook messages between the two. When they say they're pro family, they mean they're pro throwing whole families in jail. That's shit for me. Back to you, Buzzkills.
1: I mean, I feel like keeping mother and daughter together, it's really, really amazing. No, I don't. I don't
2: think any that's of this. terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's what they think. You know what? If we're going to jail them, let's jail them together, you know, to keep families together. It's bullshit. Well, at least they'll have all of their meals together. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Like a family. Like a family.
2: Wow. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Alyssa. Now let's get to our big stories. Marie is going to continue with a deeper focus on this terrifying Nebraska story.
3: Yes. Alyssa did a great job recapping how in the Husker State, police are criminalizing someone for their pregnancy outcome solely based on the method. And you might also remember the situation not only because the media loves to shame young pregnant people, but because the way that subpoena to Facebook meta really did blow up. And again, that's how cops learned that this young person's mother, their guardian, supported their child in their reproductive decision to have an abortion. And fast forward to now, as mentioned, police are pursuing both of these folks with felonies related to this self-managed abortion, which, again, Roe was still the law. At this time last year, this very much feels like the upside down world.
2: <laughs> it really does feel like the upside down world. And it's really terrifying because this is a child, right? There's a yep. child who probably did not even get to self-manage their abortion until later, maybe because they couldn't access it, right? Like there's a million things yep. that could be going on. And I just don't understand why jail is not answer for anything.
3: Their parent pleads not guilty eight years. This young person, the still teenager, pleads guilty and is facing two years.
1: And like Alyssa said, this is the gateway to person. It's somebody desperate and their mom were trying to terminate a pregnancy and did it, probably not really understanding how far along they were and who cares really. really? But when they did terminate the pregnancy, understanding that we live in a society that is horrifying and would punish, they disposed of the fetus and then. They're facing jail. And the only reason they're facing criminal time is because the anti-abortion movement wants to try to redefine fetuses as persons. And that's why they have that weird calling it a disposal of a body.
2: Yep. Right. And also I was thinking I was like, oh, this is also a warning shot to anyone who might be trying to self-manage abortion in a place that doesn't have legal abortion available to people at the times that they need it. Like yep. this is this is a, almost like a, a a sacrifice. Right. So that anyone who is just like, I'm feeling desperate, I could maybe get pills. Oh, but wait, I could go to jail for two years or more. You know, if anyone finds out about this.
3: Yeah. It's that same tactic they're using in Texas right now to break down people's support networks. That was an individual whose fucking girlfriends came to her aid. And now again, we're saying your parent, your legal guardian that you're entrusting with information, can't talk to them, can't talk to them about your period. It's sick. And also- what a felony does for people, like this sets up your ability to get financial aid if you want to go to college in some situations, to live in some areas, to, to travel vote. to other, to vote. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Travel, get a visa to go to another country, to get a job. Like all of all of this can really to immediately have that on your record. I mean, in any context, like not to get into prison abolition, but we, we see like what the types of things they're leveraging at folks to make a point and a case for why we're not, like you said, like, we're not gonna let, we're gonna not let you have abortion. And it's also racism and classism in all these attacks. Like, even though in this case, the person caught up in it is a white teenager, that still at the core shows the fact that this, the classism and the racism in this system.
2: If she was a different class, she could have flown to another state and yep. had an abortion, right? Like, this is someone who is somewhere and they're desperate. They can't get out of that state in any way that is feasible for them.
1: Well, also, Anybody who has shown a propensity to take their own body and control of their lives into their own hands, you have to be able to slap as much damage on them as possible so that they ca- so they will stop continuing to exert their power and thrive.
2: Also, I don't want to in any way downplay the role of Meta in this because essentially the cops had the ammunition they need from this, from asking Meta to subpoena the records of the conversations between the child and her mother, but they knew to go because a friend told the cops to look for them. So there's also a lesson there and like creating spaces where you cannot confide in the people around you.
1: That's right. And just like, don't put messages on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Or meta, or whatever the fuck we're calling it. But
2: apparently also don't self-manage your abortion in front of your friends.
1: I mean, what the fuck is that about?
2: What the hell? Well, there's a new
3: abortion ban trend that's a bit of a head scratcher. And Liz, will you break it down for us?
1: Yeah, so it kind of ties into this story in a way just of like when we decide abortions happen and when they can and and all this arbitrary bullshit, whether this person self-managed their abortion at 29 weeks And I'm sure you've seen this narrative that's happening now that a 12-week abortion ban is somehow a reasonable alternative to the harsh laws that have been passed. Uh, In Nebraska just just passed this 12-week ban. North Carolina just passed a 12-week ban. South Carolina moderates just proposed a 12-week ban as an alternative to a six-week ban. And the media is indulging it. You know, it's not just right-wing media, but MSNBC, NPR are inviting the supporters of this 12-week bullshit and holding it up as consensus and reasonable. But as this drumbeat of 12 weeks is the new black is happening, it's not okay. And I really wanted us to talk today just about it, because many of you are probably hearing this on the news and thinking, yeah, you know what? Maybe 12 weeks is okay. At least it's not six weeks. And I just wanted the buzzkills to take some time to lay out why we cannot let a 12-week ban stand or give it any kind of reasonable letting because it's not okay and no abortion ban is okay.
2: Well, among the whole shitstorm of terribleness about this is it's the headline is 12-week ban, but I know at least one of them comes with a 72-hour wait yep. period caveat, which makes mm-hmm. it an 11 and a half week ban in practical spaces for anyone who might be able to access it. And that's assuming you can get to whatever clinic is around.
1: And, and, you know, why, why 12 weeks, 12 weeks is literally arbitrary. It's based on nothing months away from fetal viability. And no one in the media is pressing them on. How did you land at 12? Why is 12 something you picked? Because it doesn't make any sense at all, Moji, especially when we're talking about why we choose and why we decide six week and 12 week are the same abortion.
2: Also, we know that one of the reasons that people even have later abortions is because they are rustling up the money. They are rustling up all the resources they need to get to a clinic. And so you basically cut into the time that a person can get to a clinic to get the abortion that they need and they want. And this, of course, like all abortion bans, penalizes poor people people who live in more rural places, mm-hmm. uh, much more than it penalizes the rich children of these politicians that make these bans.
3: Well, that don't even have neonatal health care to begin with. So you know exactly your your pregnancy date. And also, Moji, you're the only one on the pod who's who's bred
2: Keep saying that. Bread successfully
3: (laughs) to completion. I did both. I'm pretty sure at 12 weeks, (laughs) at 12 weeks, there's things you don't know yet about your pregnancy that you will learn later
2: on. There are things that they don't even test for until 18 weeks. And those things are terrible. And you, of course, don't find out about all of these terrible things until you're actually pregnant. And then you're like, you're testing for what? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I would offer a couple of things, you know, because when you hear the arguments, first of all, I'm going to offer a hot take that says abortion bans actually rush pregnancy decisions and take away reasonable time for people who are actually contemplating abortion or or remaining pregnant so you're forcing somebody into a decision where that decision and pregnancy outcome they may ultimately not get to decide because you're forcing them to have an abortion it's actually forcing people to have abortions abortion bans and also when they say most countries have 12 week bans let's be clear the countries that have 12 week bans like europe abortions free It's not separated out from other healthcare, and it's accessible with no waiting time. Also, abortions for anomalies are allowed without proving you you will die from the pregnancy or waiting until you present as dying to a physician. It's like, quit comparing all these states. North Carolina, you ain't France. Not even a little bit. (laughs) No. So stop it. Just stop it. And so the realities really are when they say it's consensus, they'll say that, and then They'll say out of the other side of their mouth, it's the first step to banning abortion. So it's not consensus.
2: North Carolina literally said this. The Republicans in North Carolina have flat out said, you know, if we retake the state house or if we get a larger majority, we are moving into bans. uh, And I, I, I cannot say this loudly enough, without exceptions. That means all the bullshit that doesn't work, like rape and incest, but also life of the mother. They're basically saying it's fine. It's fine that pregnant people die.
1: And I just want to say we have some good articles that we're linking in this, but do not accept any abortion ban as extreme or radical. Abortion bans are the things that are radical at any time that the government ever decides that it's okay to intervene in your own bodily autonomy. That is extreme. That is what is extreme. So I just feel like every person should be in charge of their body and their pregnancy. And at any point in their pregnancy, whenever they decide this pregnancy is not something that is sustainable for me and is not is not something that my body or my life can handle, you should have the option to no longer be pregnant. Full stop. And you know, Moji, this transitions to your story so profoundly because as we go to your story, it's about all these people who needed abortions in circumstances that
2: these 12-week bans wouldn't have allowed them to have. And the impending bigger bans would never allow. So in March of this year, 2022, five women and two doctors filed a lawsuit against the state of Texas. And they were basically saying that the state's total abortion ban led to a complete lack of care during medical emergencies while they were pregnant. And just so you get an idea of what they're talking about, let's listen to what some of them had to say here.
0: I cannot adequately put into words the trauma and despair That comes with waiting to either lose your own life, your child's life, or both. I love Texas, and it kills
4: me that my own state does not seem to care if I live or die. I'll never forget when one specialist tore off his gloves and threw them at the trash. I can't help you anymore, he said. You need to leave the state. The state of Texas
2: says they want to preserve life by banning safe legal abortions. But I've never felt my life mattered less than it did during this situation. These are just segments of horrible stories. And this week, eight more pregnant people who've also been harmed because of these bans joined that suit. And of course, with penalties like 99 years in jail or $100,000 in fines or loss of medical license, doctors and hospitals are unwilling to risk violating the ban that is unclear, even when the known standard of care everywhere in the known world is ending a pregnancy.
1: Moji, tell folks,
2: What exactly are these people suing for, these 15 people? What's the lawsuit? So the lawsuit is long, but it doesn't actually ask to end the abortion ban. It just asks for a little clarity so that doctors basically have the ability to decide if and when a person needs life-saving abortion care within the ban. And this, this is not named in the suit, but that is exactly what Imtala does.
1: Hold up. MTALA—that that is the vocabulary word of the show. Moji,
2: what is MTALA? MTALA stands for Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act. And it's a federal law that passed in 1986 to ensure that hospitals, all hospitals, stabilize a patient in an emergency situation regardless of their ability to pay. So this isn't just about people in pregnancy care, MTALA itself, but when these bans passed, The federal government said, okay, states, you can have your ban, but just remember, we have Imtala, a federal statute that means you have to care for people regardless of your state laws when they're sick. And the attorney general of Texas, an embattled, terrible, terrible person, basically sued successfully the federal government to not have to follow these standards. And it's just as harsh and ridiculous as it sounds. The federal government said, people can't come into your hospital dying because of pregnancy. And uh, he said, oh, yes, they can. And so again, Imtala is not named in the suit at all, but essentially what this does, as far as I understand it, will reestablish those protections for people who are in a crisis situation that can be resolved due to pregnancy ending, right? And that is basically due to abortion. And that is fetal anomalies, life of the mother, all of the things that basically make pregnancy dangerous. And you can't list them all because they all are so diverse. All of the things that could go wrong in a pregnancy are broad. And so you can't just like make a list. What we have are doctors who have had training and their job is to look at these situations and then make judgment. And what abortion bans do is say, doctors, you cannot follow your judgment. You have to follow this ban or we're going to put some ridiculous penalties.
1: Well, and you know, the stories of these women and i think most of them do identify as women are horrific you know there was a woman who had to who was carrying twins and had to terminate one of the twins so that the other twin and she could live there's people who were bleeding and you know near death all of the patients in these suits have horrific stories that we have heard sort of throughout the news and they kind of come together in this lawsuit. And it's interesting that the lawsuit's really getting clarity and not wanting to revoke the the ban.
2: You know, as much as I'm excited about this, I'm like, oh, do we have to piecemeal our liberation, right? Like, I love that people are like, you know, you get in where you fit in. I get it. We have to like dismantle things the best we can. But the fact that just Kind of asking to restore federal regulations. Again, that's not what the ban is saying explicitly, but I think that circumstantially that's what the ban would do is crazy. Also, a part of this that we're not saying, if you look at all of the headlines around this, you know, the people who are the victims in this are almost uniformly white middle class married people with wanted pregnancies. And that is a little wild as though they're the only people in Texas.
3: It definitely makes you think like it it hasn't changed, right? It's still showing, oh yeah, you're, you're not the one that is not at all to reduce or mitigate what those folks have gone through. But like you said, Moji, yeah. Why are, why are they the sympathetic narrative and not, not other folks, not other people of the global majority? Exactly. Or even teens,
2: right? Queer people. Like there's a very normative blondness mm-hmm. and again it's not to mitigate their pain like this is the problem is this is a global pain that we're all feeling right yeah but we can't even have a, a cast of characters that are like this is these are the people who are being harmed the the uniformness of people with the capacity of pregnancy and this is where foundational supremacy comes in
1: right um with white women taking all of the air in the abortion conversation 30 years ago and putting those stories forward and begging for crumbs rather than begging for liberation, what happened was that white narrative, that privilege narrative, the the person that we can have sympathy for because the right kind of person needs the right kind of abortion is where we end up. And then conversely, people of color, Black women, poor folks also understand, hence a teenager having an abortion, self-managing an abortion and incinerating the fetus because no one is going to help them because they know they will be prosecuted. We don't have a space where black folks and people of color can come forward and expect justice. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we have to do some like hard looking into ourselves as a society because you watch the news you see the tragedy narratives all the time what this is terrible that we we won't even allow for this as opposed to the sluts that want to have their abortions right until we get to a point where every single person regardless of what their circumstances are because none of that is my fucking business my business is that you have ownership over your body until we honor that and profoundly have that be part of our central core of our humanity. We're hosed, we are. But
2: what's next for this case, Moji? So what's next is probably a bunch of people will keep signing on for it um, because the, the horror doesn't stop, right? Like the case is going on, it's not stopping the horror. And again, this is 15 people, right? 13 of whom are patients, two of whom are doctors who are also being harmed as much by this. And, you know, they're asking for a temporary injunction to lead to a permanent injunction about that element of the law that says that people who are in crisis in the emergency room can't get the abortions they need. But again, it's not asking for enough. That's like asking for crumbs.
1: And it feels like a little bit like I got active because this happened to me. And sometimes that is the catalyst with which people have when tragedy happens, then you get active. I just wish that in the course of understanding coming forward with a horrible thing that happened to you that you could look at it globally and find it bigger.
2: And I just want to button this up by saying this is not just happening in Texas. This is just a Texas lawsuit. But every state that has an abortion ban has some version of this happening at a catastrophic scale.
3: As always, these stories will be in the show notes. And we remind you the best more up to the minute resource on accessing abortion care and funding your care is IneedanA.com.
1: Liz, this is a great time to bring on our guest who is seeing patients like this all the time. Uh, Joining us now is a provider who is the co-director of the clinic group Trust Women, who run two clinics, one in Oklahoma that used to provide abortion care before it became illegal there, and one that is currently providing care in Wichita, Kansas, that has seen a drastic increase in patients Due to the lack of abortion access in nearby states, not only in Texas, but Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas, et cetera. Please welcome Rebecca Tong.
0: Hi. <laughs> Hi, Rebecca. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. It
1: is so great to see you. I'm sure I've seen you since I've come to visit uh your fantastic clinic in 2014. But you have to explain to us what the heck is going on. In your state, my friend, because before we get into all of the amazing work that you're doing in Kansas and the incredible work of Oklahoma and how all of that is dovetailing together, we were really excited a year ago when the people of Kansas just went to vote and they were like, abortion, yes, overwhelming, and then apparently every single... Republican doesn't have any ears or eyes or was um, out of the country that day and then just decided to start ramming anti-abortion bills right back in it. And your governor, bless your governor, vetoed, and then they just overrode the veto. So it's a whole mess with your politicians. But can you explain to folks, because most folks are like, Kansas is doing great. Can you explain to folks what's going on with these horrible bills that have come and what you're dealing with at this point, your landscape.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, we are off of that wonderful win, August 2nd, 2023, just a landslide, right? And unfortunately, we suffer from the same thing a lot of states in the nation suffer from, where we have such entrenched state legislators that they don't have to listen to the people as actively because they feel secure in their seat. And that's precisely what they're doing—is ignoring the will of sixty percent of Kansans who came out. um, Even though they tried to stack the deck against us, right? Everyone already agrees with us, and um, you know we're not surprised by any means. We knew that when we won this election, they were going to come for us again um, as soon as the legislative session opened up. Um, We're working to make sure these legislators know that their constituents disagree with them pretty intensely. And yes, thankfully, the governor vetoed them. They, they blew right past those as well. So we're going to take this to the courts. Um, we will see what kind of litigation comes forward from this. We did prevent a lot of bad abortion restrictions from going into place. Um, that's what happens just year after year, right? They keep trying to put up the same things and we keep rejecting them. And then every so often they're able to get one to sneak by. So, um, you know, we'll comply with the ones that we have to. Um, thankfully, they most of the substantive ones did not make it through, though.
1: So what were these big bills? Because it's like I think people don't understand how far they went. Can you just kind of lay out a little bit about what those bills are
0: Um, on the abortion restrictions specifically? Yeah, um, because there are a lot of other restrictions that they've put forth. Right. It's the same the same tactics that they are used with abortion. They're going after gender affirming care Mm -hmm. and they're going after it hard for the abortion restrictions. The one that um, we're concerned about is having to lie to our patients. Right. They have a medication abortion reversal, quote unquote, it's. Junk science, right? ACOG disagrees with it. You know, we don't want to have to tell falsehoods to our patients. We're funny like that, right? <laughs> Where we want to.
2: Dangerous falsehoods, no less.
1: That's their job. They love opening up <laughs> fake clinics and just lying away to people, but
0: not you so much. Right. But they're going to make us put something on the wall and um, it'll sow confusion even as we try to stop that confusion, right? Um, it's going to put our patients at, in danger. And that's something that the legislature has mandated that we do, that we lie to people and go against right the, the ethics that we hold on to so strongly. So again, we're going to fight these also in court and in, in the court of public opinion. There's no other health care that's getting treated like this, except now gender-affirming care, right? And I'm yeah, just the exact same tactics, same playbook.
2: Speaking about your state Supreme Court, again, just jumping ahead in there, it does seem in a lot of states, especially now that the SCOTUS is essentially absconded with the right of a federal mandate, that it's really up to state Supreme Courts to sort of uphold or reject these laws. So looking at your current Supreme Court makeups, what do you expect? Do you think they're going to support this continued access or are you nervous about how this might end up?
0: We have a pretty good Kansas State Supreme Court. Thankfully, that's something both, you know, again, the legislature has tried to attack and undermine. And the people of Kansas have continued to retain these judges. Do they vote for their judges? They just vote for retention. So um, they get appointed and then they just get voted in for retention. And again, Kansas, Kansans have just been continuing to retain these judges knowing that and entrusting them with that precious duty of upholding our constitution so yeah they made this a constitutional argument our protection is stronger than many many states um it is a strict scrutiny protection the legislature will have to defend that it has a legitimate medical reason to put in forth restrictions so we'll see how the arguments actually come down but I think that our state constitution, our state Supreme Court will defend that this has to be a right. It just makes sense, right?
1: Well, and also you have become such a haven because one of the states you also have a clinic in, who you were talking about, many states that have it worse, is Oklahoma. And I'd love to talk about, because as you were talking about with gender affirming care, it was so cool when we were there visiting that clinic and people were coming in for gender affirming care and all this kind of care. Tell me about, what kind of work your clinic is doing in Oklahoma now and what kind of patient load you are experiencing because of the total ban in Oklahoma in Kansas.
0: Um, So for Oklahoma Clinic, Oklahoma was the first state to ban abortion altogether. Um, Prior to Dobbs, you know, they did a criminal and a civil ban, and they're still trying to figure out like which ones overlap and which ones actually are enforceable. We had to pivot to other services. So we had been providing only abortion care because of the flood of Texas patients coming to Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma City actually used to be our busiest clinic. Now they are providing gender-affirming health care, which is about to be banned for minors in Oklahoma, unfortunately, medication-assisted treatment, and then other reproductive health care services that are non-abortion services. So contraception, um, we'll be adding in PEP and PrEP, all sorts of things um, as the year carries on. Our model of care didn't work after they banned abortion though. So um, we used to fly in almost all of our physicians. Um, We had to go and recruit an advanced practice registered nurse who actually moved back to Oklahoma in order to provide this care. And from our assessment, right? Oklahoma, not only is it an abortion desert, it's a healthcare desert, period. So um, a lot of the services that we want to add are things that the community desperately needs um, and then things that people have asked us to also provide like gender affirming care for minors for this small window of time where we still can and then gender affirming care for adults, right?
1: I've talked to so many providers who talked about the caseload from Texas, right? And then you were seeing a ton of people in Oklahoma and Texas. My guess is that now you're seeing Oklahomans and Texans, and your and that your patient load in Kansas must be through the roof. Tell me about how you are dealing with the challenges of so many patients.
0: We have changed almost every single system in our clinic in order to add Um, availability, and accessibility. Prior to all of this, our Wichita clinic used to do services just two days a week. We'd bring in a provider, see abortion care patients for two days, and then the rest of the days were just administrative work and taking appointments. We now provide care four days a week. Uh, We do so with um, an extra physician now, so we have two physicians on site. We've basically quadrupled in terms of our caseload, our staffing size, the number of registered nurses. On a Monday, we will receive 20,000 phone calls. Oh my God. We are not answering 20,000 phone calls by any means. We schedule about 50 people per day. It's difficult to get through. It's difficult. Um, The appointments fill up. Um, We only schedule two weeks out just due to the show rates and things, but it is in this part of the country, it is incredibly difficult to access an abortion. We're seeing two thirds of patients from Texas, right? People from Oklahoma, they're coming from further and farther away. It has always been a family affair, right? People make this decision. It's a parenting decision. They make it with their partner. They make it keeping in mind the small children that they already have. You know, any day there's 50 patients coming to us and then there's their families, their small children driving eight hours one way. It's it's heartbreaking. It is, you know, as resilient and beautiful as our staff is, it's they shouldn't have to be right. They shouldn't have to take on this type of care, this complexity. People are coming to us from the poorest states in the nation from the places with the worst healthcare outcomes the highest maternal mortality high infant mortality you know complex healthcare complicated pregnancies and people who haven't been to see a doctor except outside of maybe giving birth it's it's immense
2: it sounds exhausting and just heartbreaking for both patients and also for staff just the toll seems overwhelming We heard reports that the federal government is finally stepping in and to address that just pregnant people are not getting the federally mandated care that they're supposed to get. And there's finally a case that's being brought, uh, I think, against Oklahoma. So what are the ways that you think this kind of federal recognition and pushback will maybe relieve some of the pressure on both patients and on doctors?
0: I know that these laws also won't change unless there is a fiscal reason for people to change their policies and things like that. So I know that if we pursue these hospitals, they will have to answer as to why they are not taking care of people in this region. However, what I also know is that we're already taking care of those people at our clinic. You know, in Oklahoma, prior to to, uh, abortion care getting banned, we were providing that care in Oklahoma. And now that it's banned in Oklahoma, Those people have to go somewhere else and they're coming to Kansas, right? They're going to other states where they, if they can, right? If they don't end up being a maternal mortality statistic at the end of the day, this woman in Oklahoma who's bringing her case, she went to three separate hospitals in Oklahoma and was told the same thing. You are likely to die and we can't help you, you know, until you're at death's doorstep, right? Until you have a heart attack. We can't help you. And it's because of these poorly structured abortion bans, they clearly did not know anything about medicine when they wrote right. it. They didn't know <laughs> yeah. anything about pregnancy. Right. They still don't. Right. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that these that these hospitals can be held accountable, but also the only way for everyone to have good access to health care that's necessary throughout pregnancy, there has to be legal abortion. Already people are going to independent abortion clinics to access this life-saving care. And it doesn't matter if it's banned or not. they That's where they're going to go.
1: You know, Rebecca, we just lost Dr. Carhart not too long ago. And I interviewed him in 2016. And he talked about why he went into this work. And he said because as a young intern, he was working in emergency rooms pre-row and that he would be treating patients who didn't have what we have now to self-manage abortions, right? They were unsafely doing that. And he said a friend of his who was also a patient kept asking him, you know, will you come and work at a clinic? And he said, you know, I went to that clinic. And it was the same people with the same problem, but I could treat them in 30 minutes and they didn't die. And I think that's what we're talking about here, right? And I hear it in your voice. I know you and I know your clinics and they are so beautiful and and the care is so compassionate. And I hear in your voice just how much of a struggle it is because you want to help every single person that comes to you. Talk a little bit about what your staff is going through and what, what our listeners what you would like them to know and how they could be supportive of the work that's happening at Trust Women?
0: I think very early on, we had to recognize the size of the problem and and our own size and understand that, yeah, we weren't going to be able to to save everyone. We used to be a place where... um, yeah, we didn't have like caps on how many people we would see per day. Um, we're like, yeah, you need to be seen as soon as possible. The next earliest day we can possibly see you is this time. And let me help you with all this other navigating things, right? Now we have to give so much of that information up front to people because they can't get through on the phone lines, right? The, the way that we have to approach our work is very, very different. And we're trying to keep it as fair as possible in this, really unfair system, right? We can't prioritize people from a certain state. Um, We can't prioritize people from, um, you know, based on how much they can pay, obviously, right? So many people are provided additional support. Again, this is just so difficult to access right now. It is not anybody's fault if they are not able to figure it out in time. I want to be really clear about that. Nobody actively wants to wait to get seen for healthcare, right? We make that decision based on the, the things we have in front of us, the resources that we have at hand, and it's a complex calculus and it's growing more and more complex. You know, for your listeners who are in a state where abortion is still legal, Definitely keep it safe there, right? Go vote for your judges, your attorney generals, your district prosecutors, everybody, right? Every single election you possibly can and keep it legal there. But also support the re-legalization efforts that are going to have to happen. The federal Supreme Court said we will not make this decision. It has to be done at a state-by-state level and it's a very, very complex process depending on where you live and where you're from. Yeah. But you know, we're working with a coalition in Oklahoma. And again, it has to be re-legalization in these states. There is no way we will ever get everybody who needs an abortion out of Texas. It's too big. Yeah. And then if you're not in a safe state, find out what that relegalization effort might be. Join that coalition. Talk about abortion with your loved ones. Um, This is a taboo you must break over and over and over again. We have to get people comfortable with it because we're not going to re-legalize it if we can't say it, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to say abortion a lot if we're going to get to re-legalization and people are going to have to have positive conversations around it.
1: It was so good to talk to you because, I mean, I I don't know if I'm a geography nerd and Wichita, Kansas is... Smack dab in the middle of the United States. It is literally the center of the United States. And so you are getting people from everywhere because you are so centrally located and you're navigating abortion and abortion that is no longer existing and having to do that. And I just, before we wrap up, because I know we do have to wrap up, but I do want to talk a little bit about what's going on with trans care because we've mentioned it and we've talked about it. And can you just say a little bit more, because I know exactly what you're saying when you say it's the exact same tactics. And I'd love for you to talk about how you're servicing trans folks and how these laws are really affecting them as well.
0: Yeah, we see this, right? You can almost, right, just like switch the words out abortion and and replace it with gender affirming care in so many ways because of how the attacks are happening at the same time and in the same way, right? we feel it is very, very clear, right, that we need to stay out of everybody's healthcare decisions, whether that be about abortion or about, um, you know, gender identity and gender affirmation care. In terms of the the legislative battle that's happening, I think we're just starting to see this unfold. It's going to be talked about so much, and it is the amount of like fake science that's flying out around, right? the amount of, right, like the dog whistling sort of verbiage that they're using. It just is so clear to me that it is the same people and the same tactics, right? And so they're going to go after the easiest portions, right? Yeah, let's attack this for minors. Let's attack this in the red states. Let's just make it a little bit less accessible, right? A little bit less trainable if there's fewer providers. But ultimately, what do they want to do, though? They want to get rid of it entirely. They want to make gender-affirming health care not only inaccessible, but unthinkable. That's what they want to do to abortion care. They want to make it unthinkable and not unthinkable in the way that you would think of like, oh, because you're so well cared for. No, they want to criminalize it and already pursue pregnant people. Our country already pursues transgender people under different laws, but they want to be able to do it for you having an abortion or for you wanting to have gender-affirming health care. They want to get rid of it entirely.
2: And yeah, it's really the exact same playbook. And it's terrifying. It's almost like you can look at um abortion laws 10 years ago and be like, oh yeah, they're basically copying, pasting, and adding trans rights. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a wonderful and insightful conversation. And we're going to put in our show notes, all of the information for our supporters and listeners to know what you're doing and rally behind you.
0: Thank you so much. It was so great to catch up
1: with you. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Oh my God. So great. Thank you for the work you're doing.
3: Great interview y'all. You can follow trust women on socials and donate to support their work through the links in our show notes. And you'll also see the info for the Kansas Abortion Fund, which does
2: tremendous work to help the patients that Trust Women supports. And now for the party game that is faster than Monopoly and more fun than taboo, here's Six Degrees of Abortion. And this is when Marie and I take a story from the news and Liz has six chances to link it to abortion. Let's see if we can stump her this week. So this week's... Is a bit of a doozy and I'm kind of excited. I like did a portmanteau of two stories. One HBO Max just became Max, but also a uh, beloved icon, Tina Turner died, who had been in a movie called uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And so, <laughs> Liz, I'm asking you to link Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome uh, to abortion.
3: And I'm just going to draw attention to portmanteau, another GRE word y'all can put down in your little notebooks.
1: I love a portmanteau. Uh, Beyond Thunderdome. So Tina Turner was in Beyond Thunderdome. Yes. I worked at First Avenue when Tina Turner performed a concert. And fun fact uh, Maggie McPherson, who was road managed for us and has done amazing work with AAF, was. Was the stage manager at First Avenue and backstage at First Avenue? Tina Turner needed to use the bathroom. There wasn't a bathroom that was presentable. So she asked Maggie just to get her a coffee can, and Tina Turner just peed backstage in that coffee can like a champ. So Mad Max to Tina, Tina to Maggie, Maggie to me, beyond Thunderdome.
3: That is impressive.
2: Such a good story, too.
1: Good
3: story, right? I'm always proud of people that can take a wide neck bottle and just go to town. So practical,
2: <laughs> so practical in oh in, the, in the after
3: times, later times. That
2: woman performed her whole freaking life. She knew how to get a thing done so she could get on stage and give a show. That's and right, special. she did. She is
1: awesome. <laughs> Should we move on to our guest?
2: Yes, this person is an
1: abortion access front and a feminist buzzkill. Stan. You can see her out on the picket lines. You can see her doing stand-up on her tours, and you can hear her right now on this podcast. Please welcome the hilarious Jenny Yang.
5: Welcome Jenny. Welcome.
1: Mm, Thanks for having
5: me feminist
1: (laughs) buzzkill. Always and forever. Um, I love buzzing and I love killing. Yes. I mean, so do we. (laughs) We've been putting buzzkills in quotes and then I was like, why are we putting buzzkills in quotes? We are indeed buzzkills.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Remove the quotes. We actually, we actually are buzzing and killing.
5: Yeah. (laughs) Irony is over. Everything's just literal. You know what I mean? This is where we are. And speaking of literal
3: and in the street, we have a lot to talk to you about, but we really wanted to kick off with updates on the WGA strike. Oh, just. I know. Like we know also, we know this, maybe our listeners don't, you actually have a background in labor organizing and I you're a comedian do. and a writer. It's kind of weird. It's like you pride yourself for this.
5: <laughs> it's, listen, you know, I'm not saying I'm built for a labor <laughs> strike as a TV writer, but no, Um, my first career was a true blue believer of the labor movement and wanting to save the world. And, you know, I worked for Uh, A large, I'll just say, a large private healthcare union, as well as a large public sector union here in California. And um, I've seen it all. I truly have seen it all. I've had members wanting to throw chairs at me because uh, I wanted to start a call center to help answer their questions. You know, so for me, I, I I'd like to think I have a certain level of insight. Whenever I check the tw- the Twitter chatter from from you know writer writing Twitter, who are just like, I don't get it. Look at the numbers. You know, th- they could have paid for what we're asking for in this contract, shared by all the writers in just one day of their stock loss from having the stoppage. Like, nah, no, fool. Like, literally, numbers and logic doesn't matter to the bosses. Mm-hmm. All they care about is breaking unions and having more power and control. They literally don't care about the money. Like, <laughs> The money's a side effect. <laughs> it's a side effect. I feel like it's it's like a, a kind of a awareness training that I think we all need to develop when we kind of organize ourselves, whether it's as workers or as feminists or whatever. It's like the people who want to break you don't care. They, they literally don't care. They don't care about numbers. They don't care about rationales. Sometimes, oftentimes, they don't even care about, you know, heart gripping stories. They just care about their power, you know what I'm saying, and so I feel like that's what's really, um, I think upsetting to some people when they realize this. So it's like, this is how it works, like, no, yeah. literally, this is how it works.
1: <laughs> I know, and they, and I think that so often we use our humanity and thinking it's going to be a good tactic, and they just don't care. And so it's like, no. if, if you'll watch, they don't care, you know, Trump 22 rape charges against the dude, and people are like, but you know, they don't care, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. So, Jenny, will you just explain a little bit? to our listeners too, because I think, again, our media is not really great at telling the story of what's happening. Can you just quickly just lay out why the writers are on strike and what is happening?
5: Yeah, the writers are on strike because for many, many years, there's been a very strong creep and erosion of workers' rights as TV writers stay in the room or feature writers. So for example, when you think about any industry of how do they take away your dignity and your rights and your power to do work at a reasonable pace uh, with enough staffing? It's all those same issues that you think about, whether it's in healthcare or at the schools, it's all happening with us. So if that makes any sense. So, you know, if you hear this term like you know, we're complaining about mini rooms or we're complaining about lower level staff writers not getting paid enough. It's because what they're doing is they're taking away the power to create a sense of solidarity and a sense of dignity as a worker. Because when you have enough staffing, rather than do these mini rooms where it's like, eight weeks at a time. Maybe there's five people in a room. Previously, you t- you listen to these old school like TV writer room people, modern family, whatever. We had 25 people and uh, 20 episode order. Therefore, we were employed for like, you know, 40 weeks out of the year. That is a living. That is a way that you can make at least a middle or even upper middle class living. Now, we're not even talking about that. It's, it's the same kind of gutting of an ability to make a middle class living that every other industry is going through. Everyone, is either super rich or super poor that's all they really want us to do so that to me is the best way to summarize sort of the, the the ways that they've been kind of tinkering with how they set up contracts and how they allow for like how they want to allow for the number of staffing and and the length of staffing um that's really what we're, we're contending with. And then plus these extra added things like AI, I believe we're probably one of the first unions to fight around the issue of, of artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. right? And that is going to be ever present in all of our industries, mm-hmm. okay? So whether it's having a, a chat GBT write you a script, it's you know, or, you know, who knows, writing business emails for some people, if they need to do maybe negotiations, I don't know what line of work you're, you know, it's the same thing as when, you know, in the grocery industry, you know, computer automation took over for, you know, people serving you at the checkout line, right? Or bank tellers. And so, but this is another level because this is intellectual property. This is like how we communicate. This is creativity. This is art. And so I think that's, what's really scary about it. We already see it in terms of like, fake AI type deep fake things with visual things, like whether it's photos or, or even like being able to put like Trump's face on like Drake, you know what I mean? Like, like, that's like stuff that's already happening. But now just imagine that with ideas and words, you know, and I think what I what it really boils down to is what we're doing is similar to what we did for streaming in the last big strike in 08, 07, 08, which is, oh, at the time, you know, the NPTP, which are all of the sort of studios and networks gathering together, being like, oh, this internet web series thing, we don't know what it's going to look like. Don't worry about it. They literally said that to us and we're like, no, this is going to be huge and we need to actually talk about the terms of it, you know? And so anyway, long story short, we're doing this with AI, you know? AI is the same thing. They're trying to be like, I don't know what's going to happen. But AI straight up is plagiarism. It's just plagiarism. Yes. Yeah, it's a plagiarism, plagiarism yeah. machine. It can't create new things without stealing from crawling around on in the internet. So mm-hmm. anyway, I could go on forever, but that's my best no, attempt I love at it. describing what the what the what the fight is. And the fight isn't just for writers. The fight is for it's an existential threat to workers and our power to unionize. Okay, so so you know you don't think Zasloff and and HBO Max and all these kind of like you know Wall Street investment companies and. Whatever they're they're also investing in you know your toothpaste they're investing in fast food they're all these same attitudes around how workers should be treated is affecting us and it's affecting you so that's why you know this this strike is so important and I hope you know more people find solidarity in that.
1: Hundred percent, it's just mind blowing to watch. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit from labor to your choice to whether or not you ever want to go through labor. That was really awkward pun. Oh, I love it. I love it. Double meanings. I'm staying in it, y'all. So, you know, we've known each other for a good decade at least. And you have been with us since the beginning of of all of the work, you know, from the beginnings of Lady Parts Justice. I mean, we early on did a video about like trans folks and how to talk, you know, we've been like, we've been working on it. And so, and you've been out on the road with us. And so, one of the questions we love to ask folks who have, traveled with us and actually then experienced, you know, clinic workers. And what's happening is we all know we go out with folks on the road who are pro-choice and who are, you know, support abortion access, but like, what's something you learned uh, that you really didn't actually know until you got out into the community and started and seeing and meeting the people who are providing the care?
5: Wow. Yeah. One of the things that early on that blew my mind was um, we were touring. I think Idaho. I don't know. One of the sort of Midwest mountain states. And, and we were at a clinic and you were telling me stories of how, you know, just ruthless, I guess, the the opposition is when it comes to lying and faking, you know, like creating laws that are you know, de facto bans on abortion or abortion services, that, that to me kind of blew my mind is like, oh, let's just like require um, abortion to be done in an, a facility that is has like double wide bed size or hallways, and that which, you know, sort of de facto eliminates the ability for smaller clinics, right, to be able to provide services. And so stuff like that. Also the fact that like um, how aggressive the anti-abortion people are and violent they can get, um which is really upsetting that you know I always knew about people who would picket or protest abortion clinics outside but I didn't know how dirty they got you know um and I know you you were telling me that you know back even in the 80s or 90s there was like people who would hold you know nails in between their hands as you know workers and 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 patients walked by in order to scrape them you know i mean it's like it's so cruel They'll mm-hmm. just, it, it's it's hard, if I really, if we really dwell in it, it's really heartbreaking how cruel the opposition Thanks. is to our humanity. And so I think that to me is, is what was what really struck me. Also, what struck me is like, I don't know how many people you have in your lives who are like caretaker workers, right? Care workers, whether they're old folks, home workers or nurses, but like, when you just think about like how drained you are just, I don't know, being with your family, <laughs> tearing, using emotional labor on them, getting them things, you know? Like, I just think about those workers and how they have to just do that as an isolated task every day and for the people who are feeling the most vulnerable. And so, you know, I I think being there with you was such a gift because it really gave me a sort of muscle memory around like how it feels to be with them, you know, and and what their lives might be like. And it's, it's so tough. And so they deserve all the love and support we can give them because they're the ones willing to be out on the front lines, helping out and providing patient care, you know?
2: I love that. And um, just to keep us with abortion, we're about a year out from the Dobbs leak. And right after it happened, you decided to write about your abortion stories. And as people who commune with abortion storytellers, people choose to tell their abortion stories for many reasons. But for you, what was the most important part of your story that you wanted people to know that uh, kind of moved you to share it at that pivotal moment in our country?
5: Yeah, I think for me, it always feels like when we talk about abortion, that's like the thing that happens out there or to those people or to others. And I think why I wanted to share my story was to say, I had an abortion that is an A-B-O-R-T-I-O-N. That's not a dirty word. That is not a word that we should be ashamed of because an abortion could also include those of us who need the procedure in order to uh, get rid of a wanted pregnancy. So I want to be a mother. I was trying to get pregnant, sort of. I got pregnant after eight weeks. Little thing didn't make it. It was still inside me. It, w- it wasn't able to naturally come out of me. And so because I had a miscarriage, I had to go through what is technically an abortion service. It is a form of a stone or I don't know how to pronounce it. Right. I-, I used a pill or an insert. I could have had, you know, the the the, the physical, you know, uh, aspiration right right i could have done that but i just decided you know let me try this thing so so technically i've had an abortion because of this and i think i just wanted to get my story out because i wanted to make it very clear that people who get abortions are people you know and people who get abortions can be people who want the pregnancy as well and it's oh and that's a lot of us so you know i think it's important for any movement for us uh, for people to understand how big the umbrella is, right? How big the tent is, right? So that we don't feel alone. And so, yeah, that's why I shared.
2: How did this affect your activism, both around abortion, but just in general? Because you are quite the activist. I
5: guess so. (laughs) I think for me, I just speak up when I can, you know? I think I've learned not to try. It's tough because, you know, in my 20s, I burnt myself out. You know what I'm saying? So I think these days when you say I am quite the activist, it's like, wow, this is 20% of what I probably could be doing, you know. But in my head, it's just nowadays I just think for my self-care, for my, you know, even keeledness in life, I just think about what I can do at the moments that I can do it. And so um I, I hope more people think that way, you know, it's not like you have to be this like a hundred percent paid activist all the time and make a living off of it, but you can start where you are.
3: Speaking of self-care, we are going to have to wrap up here soon, but I didn't want our listeners to not hear you talk about your new live show on wellness.
5: Yes. Listen, (laughs) she's a struck. She's a struck TV writer. She's going to do a live show. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, every I'm doing this new monthly show in Los Angeles that's actually going to be in New York possibly chicago i don't know guys we're trying to figure it out so it's basically a panel show crossed with a fake game show it's called self-help me a competitive self-care comedy show the attitude is, you know what, self-care already felt competitive. Let's just make it uh, let's just make it a a, a competition, you know <laughs> what I mean? Let's do it. Yeah, so it's it's sort of 70% making fun of wellness and self-care trends and then 30% talking about it's uh, you know, seriously. Usually we have a few comedians or interesting people on the panel to compete to be the queen of self-care by winning points around little quizzes or trivia that we have around like the topic of the day. So like, for example, the first topic we did in April was about work-life balance and burnout this uh, may show is uh, it's sold out both of these are sold out here at Dicey Typewriter in LA it's going to be about breakups breaking up with your lover your therapist, your friend, all of that. And then eventually we're going to talk about fertility and, and abortion, all of it. So that's what's exciting to me about it. Every month I get a chance to write a new show, you know, make some jokes, make do little bits, have weird little quizzes about like, you know, last month when we did talk about burnout, we put a photo up of a guy with, you know, kind of nerdy looking guy with glasses and said, what is the real true life story of, of how this person did an epic quit? at his job. What, what's the story behind it? And we had our comedians improvise their interpretations of this man's photo. Turns out he was a British man who was an accountant who was bullied and was like, I'm going to steal 17,000 pounds and go blow it off all on sex workers and uh, cocaine for a weekend. You know what I mean? Like, hey. it's just funsies. <laughs>
4: it's
5: just funsies, little fun things like that. So You know, it's
1: just uh yeah, it's a way to No AI system is going to come up with that. Come on. no. (laughs) We have real life people. (laughs)
0: That's
1: exactly right. That is why AI is evil because AI is not coming up with the self-care competition (laughs) comedy show. And I also think too, like, you know, we're, we're slowly getting back to going out on the road and bringing the podcast out on the road and stuff. And so like grabbing folks who are out on the picket lines and want to go out and do some work and get back on stage, like, Now's the time to spread the good news everywhere. Uh, What do you want folks to know before we wrap up with you, my friend?
5: Uh, I just want people to know that I love Liz Winstead and I love all the people who identify as feminist buzzkills because we make the world go round. And you can find me at JennyYang.tv for my tickets and my social media.
1: (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly And Jenny has great social media. It is so good. We have so much more we wanted to talk to you about. And you're just going to have to come back. Yes, of course. Jenny Yang, thank you for being so stellar. I love you guys. Love you. Bye.
3: Bye. Bye. Subscribe to Everything's Fine with Jenny Yang, Jenny's Substack newsletter at jennyyang.substack.com. Her official website, jennyyang.tv and follow her on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Jenny Yang TV.
1: That's our show. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to Rebecca Tonk for joining us. And you can find out how to support the work of Trust Women in the links in our show notes. You can support our pod by taking a minute to subscribe, write a review, give us five stars. With your help, we can get more people to learn about this assault on abortion access. So again, Follow us on all the socials at Abortion Front to keep up to date with all of the latest Repro news.
2: Looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? Check out our five-part activist training series, Operation Save Abortion, at operationsaveabortion.com. The series is available on pod and video form. Make sure to check out the activist calendar, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. One of the ways you can take action is to write a review for your local anti-abortion center to expose their scams and warn your community. Check out exposefakeclinics.com to find your local fake clinic and get some tips on writing reviews about them that Google will actually keep up.
3: We're off next week. But come to see us feminist buzzkills do all this live in New York City at DROM on June 7th. We have awesome guests, comedian Jeff Hiller from HBO Max's Somebody Somewhere, TikTok icon V Spear from Under the Desk News, and great activists from New York City for abortion rights. Also join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FPK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at Patreon.com slash FeministBuzzKills. FBK is edited by Remy Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front.
2: And finally, we leave you with Nebraska Senator and King of the Xenophobes, Steve Erdman, a man showing his whole ass with the most misogynistic analogy ever.
1: And saying abortion
4: is healthcare is like saying being raped is lovemaking. That's a fact. So it's time to move on.
0: Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com/feministbuzzkills.